This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, August 29th, 2021, offered at Holy Spirit Episcopal Church in Alabaster. The principal text for the sermon is James chapter 1, verses 17 through 27, where James challenges us to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Nike Shoe Company debuted the Just Do It advertising campaign on July 1st, 1988. The first TV commercial that was part of this campaign featured an 80-year-old marathon runner named Walt Stack, who was a legend in the San Francisco running community. And so in this commercial, we see Walt running and chatting effortlessly about his daily 17-mile run while wearing Nike tennis shoes. This slogan of just do it has now become inseparable from Nike's brand, right? Anytime you think of Nike, you think of the swoosh and the tagline, just do it. But when it was first pitched, Nike didn't think that much about it. They didn't think they needed it. See, in the mid-80s, Nike had a problem and it was that it was losing the tennis shoe wars against Reebok. Reebok had sort of seen the future a bit better than Nike and had marketed tennis shoes towards people that were doing aerobics and sort of non-professional athletes, and Nike had missed the boat. And so they decided to, to try to push back on this and gain some market share by launching this big TV campaign with these commercials. Each commercial was about a different sort of sport, right? Running, walking, cross-training, basketball, women's fitness, everything that you would need to wear Nike tennis shoes for was featured in a commercial. And each spot, though, was made by a different creative team, so all the commercials didn't look alike. And so the night before the advertisement company was to make the big pitch to Nike, Dan Whedon said, we need something that ties all these different things together, and that's going to be this tagline of just do it. Now, the company wasn't really convinced, but they decided to give it a try and went along with it, and after the commercials debuted, immediately Nike started receiving written letters, because it's the 1980s, and phone calls, because it's also the 1980s, because people were responding so positively to this tagline of just do it. Somehow these three simple words spoke to not just pro athletes and serious runners, but to the the general public that just needed to wear tennis shoes from now and again. And so for 33 years, just do it has been part of Nike's brand, right? And it's also entered the popular culture. It's been in sort of pop art. It's been used in satire and comedy. It's been turned into internet memes. But it's also become sort of a mantra for empowerment. When you're at a crossroads trying to decide what to do, sometimes you just say, well, we just do it and see what happens next. While the company was at first unsure about this slogan, a bit reluctant to be branded in that way, Just Do It is now 
held by the company as being its most effective way of inviting people to join in what the company Nike believes and what they stand for. If we here this morning were called on to make an advertisement campaign for the book of James, James gives us what the tagline should be, and that's be doers of the word. The 108 verses that will make up the epistle of James offer 59 imperatives, offering practical guidance for the doings of the Christian faith. Now, James is an often scrutinized, sometimes criticized book of the Bible that came into the canon a bit late in the game. It's less of a letter like we think of the Pauline letters and really is more of a collection of essays. Adding to the curiosity of the book and how it made it into the Bible is it only mentions Jesus by name twice. And there's no mention of Jesus' miracles or death or resurrection. There's no reference to baptism or the Holy Spirit or the Eucharist. But scholars believe that James is clearly and strongly a Christian writing. Because when you look at the whole of James, it is clear that this these essays, this letter is being written to a community of faith that is shaped by the promise of inheritance proclaimed by Jesus of the kingdom of God and that the community is shaped in faith and love by the teachings of Jesus, if not the miraculous deeds. James is writing to a Christian church, a gathered community that holds common values that are summarized by the faith in Jesus Christ. And for the community that James is a part of in writing to, Actions speak louder than words, and faith is about doing and not just hearing. This community that is being spoken to and spoken about lives according to a moral code that is different than the world around them. The world that they find themselves in makes decisions and acts out of selfish desires and based on scarcity. But James says that's not our starting point. That's not our reality. Our reality as Christians is that everything is a generous gift from God and that God keeps on giving and that our response to that is to enact the word of God that we have received. Now, the community that is being written to in James is not the first to struggle with what it means to exercise or demonstrate Christian faith. We hear it right in the gospel reading this morning, right? Jesus is there and teaching, and the Pharisees come and say, why do your followers not follow the the traditions and practices that we have held as a people of faith for so many generations? And Jesus' response is swift, that those things that you've been doing are distracting you and taking your heart away from God, not drawing your heart closer to it. Because... Not because it's wrong to wash your hands before you eat. You should absolutely wash your hands before you eat. But the reason why these have become distractions is because they're no longer affecting how you behave. If you're still acting out of greed and avarice and your selfish desires and washing your hands before you eat, you're not enacting the faith that has been given to you. You're giving in to the way of the world that's around you. So James meets this challenge of Jesus and says and answers the question of how are we supposed to keep our hearts close to God and practice a religion that's based on God's word and not on human traditions. And James' answer is simple, right? Be doers. 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 Be doers.
doers of the word. Faith is not just to be heard, it's to be enacted. It's not just ritual, but it is actions taken out in the community. It's not just about an intellectual study of scripture or the intellectual study and practice of beautiful liturgy or studying all the great theologians. It's not just about an emotional experience of salvation, but faith is about living and behaving according to the implanted word of God. And when we start living that way, what we're challenged to do is to say we have received the word of God that says it has the power to save our souls. And James says we should act like we believe it. We should act like we believe that God can save. Now, James gives us some practical responses. That's why it's such a fun book, right? He says, what does it look like to enact our faith, to be doers of the word? Well, we care for each other. Especially the orphans and widows, the poor, the sick, the grieving, the weak, the forgotten. We take care of each other and those that are in most need in our community. But we also are quick to listen. We keep our mouths shut. We hold in our anger and our frustration to listen to our neighbors and those that are around us. We do not make decisions or act swiftly on our selfish desires. You know, we follow the revised common lectionary, right? This is this is what sets our readings for each Sunday. It's like a it's like a clock. The preacher doesn't really get to pick what they're going to preach on because we're presented with three readings and a psalm that go for each Sunday that follow the liturgical year, but sometimes the lectionary gives us a real gift. And it's just by happenstance, right? And I think for us, we have received this real gift that we're going to get five weeks of James starting this this Sunday. This is our first week. We'll get four more. That's going to give us a survey of what the book of James has to say about what it means to enact a Christian faith. And I think it comes to us at a time that we really need to pause and consider what does it mean to be a Christian enacting our faith in the world? What does it mean when we have to make individual decisions for ourselves, for our family, for our communities that also affect those that are around us? And what does it mean to do and make these decisions when we seem to be in a culture that is designed for us to fight with each other and to be angry and to be divided? And here comes five weeks from the book of James from an early Christian community surrounded by a world that did not understand what it meant to be a Christian, speaking to us and giving us practical examples of what it means to be doers of the word. When I read sort of this, this passage from James getting ready for this Sunday and thinking how have my Christian ethics played out over these past months, what has it meant for me to be a doer of the word? I have to look and back at sort of the major decisions that I've had to make that affect people around me. The decision to get a COVID vaccine. I was a clergy person, so we got to get it fairly early on. And I will say, I sat in that chair full of doubt and trepidation. I did not understand the science. There was so much different conflicting information on the news, but I sat in the chair and I took the vaccine because I knew in that moment that whatever my fear and uncertainty was, 
that this was the best opportunity I had to take care of my community and those that were around me that needed to be protected. And my faith told me, then that's the decision you have to make. A month ago, when the CDC said we had to put masks back on, I was angry, right? I had done what I had, was supposed to do. I got vaccinated. I washed my hands. I did all of these things, and now I have to wear a mask again. And I was really mad about it and frustrated and mad at the people that didn't do the right things. But I knew that the way that I could protect my community and my neighbors and the people that for whatever reason had not or were not able to be vaccinated was to put a mask back on when I was in a group of people. My Christian faith told me that that was what needed to be done, not what was comfortable for me, but what could take care of the people around me. And now before I pat myself on the back too much for all of the good Christian decisions that I've made, I also have to confess that I then looked at the world around me with everybody screaming and yelling at each other and the people that were mad at people that didn't get vaccinated and all of that. And I had a real temptation to say, well, look what I did. And I did what's right. And why didn't you do what's right? And then there's the book of James saying, be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow with your anger. And I realized that as good as it might make me feel to go tell somebody how wrong they were, that my Christian faith didn't call me to that, but instead called me into conversation with those that see, saw the world differently than I did. To share with them that, yes, I understand that you're scared and uncertain about a vaccine or that you're frustrated about wearing masks and all of this. I get it. I understand it. But what does our faith in Jesus Christ call us to do at this moment? There's a real temptation to throw away those around us that do not think or agree with us. But our Christian faith calls us to go even deeper into relationship with them, to invite them into a fuller relationship with Christ. I certainly need to hear the ethics that James is going to teach us over the next several weeks. I also realize that these past several months, all of these decisions that we've had to make and the decisions that are to come and how we treat our neighbors and people around us, that I absolutely need Jesus Christ to be in the middle of all of that. And I need Sunday morning worship, right? Because we come here not because it's sort of the ritual acts that distract us from the world around us. We come here because this is where we put our tennis shoes on and do our workout so we're ready to do the work out in the world. Think about what we do here, right? We hear the word of God and reflect on it. We hear it being read in scriptures and preached and we hear it in the Psalms. We say our prayers gathered together as a community. We confess our shortcomings and sins and receive forgiveness. We give thanks. We receive the body and blood of Christ and we do all of this so that we can go out the doors in strength and courage to love and serve Christ in the world. We do this so that we are a community that is prepared and exercised and ready to go out into the world, letting our actions speak louder than our words and showing that our faith is about doing and not just hearing. Everything that happens here at the altar is to draw us into the experience of the word of God that has the power to save our souls so that we can go out into the world and share that invitation with those around us and so that we can be doers of the word and not just hearers. Amen.